Hello and welcome to Whatever is True, the NCA podcast. I'm Tala and usually I would be doing this with Fox, but actually today um, I, Fox is not here, which is possibly why the audio quality is not as great, uh, but I am instead joined by my really good friend, Tom Habib. Uh, now, Tom and I, we served together at Yaguna Anglican a few years ago. Now, Tom is actually in Cambridge doing a PhD on, you guessed it, John. Um, and so I thought it would be really cool if we get him in to talk about John with us as we as a church think more on John and why it's so great. Now, Tom, I love John. You love John. You love, I think I love John a lot, but I'm pretty sure you love John a bit more than I do. In fact, your enthusiasm for John while we work together really helped me love this gospel and see um, just its goodness. Um, so tell us, why do you love John so much? <laughs> uh, hi, Tala. Um, thank you for having me on the podcast. I hope it's I hope it's going to be helpful. Why do I love John? Well, I mean, obviously, I love all of God's word, uh, and there's that reason. Um, this is this is God speaking to us. I love John in particular. Um, I think because. It deals with a lot of questions that I find myself asking um, and, and, and also questions that I found myself asking when I was still looking into Jesus and looking into the gospel, questions like how do I know uh, that God is there? How do I know that God is real? How, do I, how can I know him? Um, you know, when there's so many different religions around and all that sort of thing, how can I do that? So just sort of those, those basic um, questions that are sort of an entry point into into whether I believe in Jesus or not I think John deals with and deals with up front but then also I think John is really interested in showing us the life that we can have with Jesus and what true life what true eternal life is like um, and so when I read John I'm always convicted of how much the life that's on offer in this world is is fleeting and is 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 not the true life that's that's offered, uh, and how much that Jesus offers the true life. So, I always tell people when I when I talk about John that John is about light and life, you know, light, knowledge, um, understanding who God is, revelation, life, eternal life, relationship with God forever, and I think that's why I love John. Yeah. So, I mean, there's so much more to say, but yeah, it's it's a good book. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you were reading this, like you were reading John before you became a Christian as well. Is that, is that what you're saying? Like you all? As well, you were... I, no, I think the first gospel that I started reading was Mark okay. um, and Mark eight, you know, what is, what is the point of gaining the whole world and yet losing your soul was a really big question for me to grapple with us. You know, as a teenager, I was sort of thinking about, well, what am I doing with my life? And so I think that was a big question to, to, to grapple with. But then I think as I, as I continued on, um, as I sort of turned to Jesus and, and, and continued on in my faith, all these sort of questions started arising. Mm. Um, and I think John was really helpful in, in meeting those questions yeah. um, and, and actually giving me questions that I hadn't thought about before and, and, and helping me reframe the way I even think about the world and my mm. own life why I believe all these sorts of things so yeah 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 that's awesome I mean I think it's my favorite gospel 
to read with a non-Christian. I love it mm. uh, for so many of the reasons that you've mentioned. Um, now, Absolutely. sorry, can I just oh, say, yeah. I, that, that's a really interesting point because, so we've just started it in our Bible study um, last week. We were looking at John 1, 1 to 5. Um, and someone in our Bible study said, uh, you know, I, this this would not be a good gospel to read with someone who, who isn't a Christian. And I think it was partly that was just thinking some people might find it a bit too full on too early, you know, to say that Jesus is God and that kind of thing. But also, you know, and I've heard other people say this before, even people in ministry, it's 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 too complex, too hard. Like you sort of, it's it's the Trinity in in week one of, of, of your meeting up. Um, and I think I, I, I can understand that. I get that. But also I think we forget that the people... People are deep thinkers. I think we forget that people do really think through stuff and we're not the only ones thinking through this. I think sometimes as Christians, we kind of imagine that other people don't think about God or, or stuff at all. And, and I think that's not true. I think people do think a lot about this stuff. And John sort of immediately engages us with these questions. Mm. Um, maybe it's not the best gospel for everyone to start with, but I've always found, you know, you, you just get immediately great conversation. Hang on, what? Jesus is God? Because mm-hmm. most people don't realise that. Most people don't think, that, don't realise that that's what we believe. Mm. Um, so already you've kind of got this, this great starting point to talk about. And then you can go on and, well, if, if Jesus is God, then he's the creator. He's the one who gives life. If he's the one who gives life, then life can only come from him. So if you're looking for life apart from him, you're not going to find like, you know, it's just immediately you're getting into the good stuff. So hmm. um, I'd love to encourage people to read John with their non-Christian friends and don't underestimate their ability to think deeply about the things of God. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Now we just looked at John nine at church. Um, now I know I have heard you say Tom that this is, a favorite, if not your favorite chapter in John. Um, can you tell us why that is? And also maybe talk us through what's happening in John 9. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I feel silly saying it's my favorite because I don't know if you can have favorites in the Bible because it's all of God's word, it seems. There's some hidden, you know, heresy there that I've that I've committed. But anyway, um, <laughs> I like I like John 9. Uh, and I think it's a it's a great. It's a great chapter. It's great for believers, great for unbelievers. Why do I like it? I think what's going on in John 9 or what John is trying to do in this chapter is what he's trying to do in the whole of John's gospel, really. And I think we kind of get it shrunk down into this one chapter, which is really, really interesting, or at least it's one of the main things that I think that John is doing in this gospel. So um, I like John 9 because I think it's, it's almost, it's almost a living parable of the world and of ourselves and our response to God as well. I think it, it's incredibly helpful for us in framing our understanding of why we believe, how we can believe, but then also why people don't believe. Um, and that, I mean, that's particularly something that I'm interested in. That's sort of what my PhD is on, why people don't believe or, or unbelief. Um, I think John 9 is fascinating about that. And it's, it, it says things that we wouldn't ordinarily expect as well. But as a sort of living parable, you, you know, it, it's just this scene between the Pharisees and, and, and the blind man. 
And as you see their resistance to the, the, the gospel, to the message of Jesus, I think you see that in the world today. It makes, it helps you make sense of why people don't believe today. Um, but it also gives you incredible uh, encouragement that people will believe, mm. that the blind will see as well. So I think it helps us understand our world. I think it helps us understand ourselves because um, what's going on in the world is, is going on in our heart, in our hearts as well. So it, it, it helps us understand our own unbelief. Um, and it also gives us hope uh, for, for our faith as well. Um, the other thing I like is as someone who's in ministry, I think this is, if, if there's anybody who is in, uh, I mean, we're all in ministry. Um, so for, this is for all of us. But as we think about ministry, as we think about sharing the gospel with others, I think this gives us the right mindset and the right frame of mind for, for thinking about how we do that and why people respond the way they do. So I, I really like John 9. But, of course, what's going on in John 9 is going on in the prologue. It's going on in John 3. It's, it, it's, it's in all the Gospels as well. Um, okay, you want me to go through John 9? Is, yeah. is that the idea? Yeah, yeah, please. Okay. Um, I mean, there's lots of places we could probably start um let's start at the end because i think that's a helpful place to start mm -hmm. so um john 9 39 is i think a key um statement to understand this chapter but also a really key to understand um uh, john's gospel as well so verse 39 jesus said for judgment i have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And right there you get the twin responses to Jesus as he comes into the world. There are some who will receive, uh, who will recognise, there are some who will believe, and then there are others who won't. There are those who will reject. And, of course, that's what's going on in John 9. Uh, you, John 9 has two parallel stories going on. Uh, at the same time. On the one hand, John 9 is a story about a man who comes to see, that is spiritual sight, a man who comes to see who Jesus is and puts his faith in him. Uh, at the same time, and this is the genius of the chapter, it's also a chapter about a group of people, the Pharisees, who conti are continuing to, uh, in great, in great and greater, um, to, to, to a greater, greater extent, continuing to reject um, Jesus. And so that's what's going on in this chapter. It, it's actually two stories at the same time. Um, you could read it twice uh, to, to, and see the different stories. On the one hand, someone who comes to believe. On the other hand, a group who um, continue in their resistance to Jesus. So I think that's really helpful in, in order to frame what's, um, what's going on. I won't go into all of this because I know we're going to talk about a couple of other themes uh, later on, but just to take you through how this works, it starts with um, this man who is born blind. Okay, so you have physical blindness um, as, an, as an issue here, and the disciples ask, who sinned? Now, we'll come back to that because we're going to talk about sin at the end there, and I think that's a, it's really interesting that they connect sin with blindness here uh, because Jesus does too, but not physical blindness. So we'll, we'll come back to that in a, a, a little bit later. But he wants to know who sinned. And Jesus says something really important uh, in verse 
three. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then he says, and I think this is something that we, we often miss, verse four, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, there's a lot there that, that I won't unpack because otherwise we'll be here forever. But I just think it's really interesting that right at the start of this chapter, Jesus reiterates what we've heard twice already, that he is the light of the world. Okay, so Jesus says this, if you go back uh, to the start uh, of, um, of chapter 8, chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And of course, you can go right back to the prologue where this is how Jesus is described. Before we even hear that this is Jesus, uh, we're told about um, the word in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. Mm. Um, and then verse nine, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So Jesus is the light of the world. He is the one who, who gives um, spiritual knowledge, if I could put it that way. He is the one who enlightens us so that we can know God. And so we get this reminder right at the start of John 9, which should, which should immediately make us think, okay, this is what's going to be going on in this chapter. Mm. This chapter is about enlightenment. This chapter is about how we come to know. So he heals him physically. And I think that's important as well, because when you get to the start, uh, when you get in the prologue, uh, we see that Jesus is the creator God. So he is the one who has given physical light, but also implicit in the prologue is that he gives spiritual light as well. Yeah. And I think you see the exact same thing in John 9. So first we see he gives physical light. He physically heals the man who is born blind. The light literally has shone in the darkness in that sense. Yeah. And, um, uh, and, and, he is, and he sees. So the, here we see the work of the creator God, and I think actually that's something you could say about all of the signs in, um, in John, that they're, they're, they're creation signs, I, I think, in one sense, creation and redemption signs. Mm. So that, um, I mean, there's, we, we can talk more about that another time, but um, or you can think about that another time, I guess. Um, but yeah, so, so here we see the creator God giving light uh, to the blind, giving sight to the blind, but then he goes on to give spiritual sight. So um, uh, we, we see that um, there's then sort of this discussion about, you know, was he really healed and all of that sort of stuff? The neighbours aren't sure. And basically you get then this investigation that goes on. Uh, the investigation is led by the Pharisees and they want to know how on earth this man uh, was born blind. And they, they start from a point of scepticism. So they start by, by not actually believing that he was healed. Okay. And that's kind of, um, that, that's why they interview the parents. They want to know, you know, but, but, mm. but once they establish that, once they establish that he was healed, well, then they want to say, well, it's impossible for, um, for Jesus uh, to have done this because he's a sinner. Mm. Um, and this is based on the fact that he's, he's um, broken the Sabbath before. Uh, so verse 24 they summon the blind man. Sorry, I'll, I'll speed up in a second. Give glory to God by telling the truth. We know that this man is a sinner. And this is a really interesting thing. The, the man says, look, I don't know whether he's a sinner, but one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. 
Now, it's really interesting here because the Pharisees are saying, we know, we know that this man is a sinner. The word not know and knowledge is, is constantly popping up in this chapter again and again. Right. The Pharisees know that he's a sinner. And the man says, well, I don't know. Okay, so he's at a point of ignorance. The Pharisees seemingly are at a point of knowledge. Uh, and he says, I don't know. But what I do know, the only thing he knows is that he was blind, but now he sees. So that's his starting point of knowledge, that Jesus actually performed this miracle. Um, and then again, verse 29, the Pharisees say, we know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't know where he comes from. Okay, so there's a point of ignorance here for the, for the Pharisees. But then verse 30, the man says, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of the opening of the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, and this is the key, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So starting from this small point of knowledge that the blind man has, Jesus performed this miracle on me, he then is able to move to a second point of knowledge, which is, well, therefore he must be from God. The Pharisees who start from this point of presumed knowledge, which is um, we know that he is a sinner, uh, then move to this point of ignorance of saying, well, we, we don't know where he comes from. And I think what's going on here is, is, that, is that John is showing really they should know. You know, just based on the evidence, it, it should be pretty obvious. If he's performed this miracle, they should know that he comes from God. It should be obvious to them. And, you know, here you have these learned Pharisees who, who know so much about the law. You have this simple man who's born blind, and yet he is able to realise this more than the others. And, of course, at this point, they, they give up arguing, and they just um, put him down. You're steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they mm. threw him out. Very interesting. Steeped in sin at birth. We'll come back to that later when we talk about sin, mm. because actually they're the ones who are steeped in sin at birth, and this is why they can't see. So. Verse 35, then, we, we sort of get the summary of this story uh, and, and the interpretation by Jesus to help us understand what's happened in this story. First of all, we get the man coming to faith. And what I think is really interesting is that the man still doesn't believe, even though he's seen the miracles, he's not at a point of trusting in Jesus as the Messiah and being saved. Hmm. He hasn't got there yet. All he's got to is the point where he can trust this man's word. He knows he's from God and therefore he's going to receive his word. And so Jesus asks in verse 35, do you believe in the son of man? And again, he's, in, he's ignorant. He said, well, who is he? But then he says, tell me so that I may believe in him. So he, he trusts Jesus' words now because of Jesus' works. Mm. He sees the miracles. Therefore, he knows that Jesus is trustworthy. It's interesting. I think a lot of people say Jesus' miracles prove that he's God. Now, yes, I think that's true. Um, because Jesus does miracles that no one else could do. But, you know, I mean, other people did miracles. Elijah and Elisha did miracles very similarly. Um, Paul uh, raises the dead as well. So, you know, it's, it's not just Jesus who does miracles. The point of the miracle is that we can trust the testimony of Jesus. Mm. And then it's the testimony of Jesus that leads us to believe that he is really the son of God. Mm. So that's why he says, tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus says, You've now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. And it's at the word of Jesus that the blind man actually comes to believe. Mm. And I think that's really interesting for us because as, as, as we trust in the word of Jesus and his claims to who he is, 
that we come to believe. And so it's at that point that he says, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Now, then we get this, our key, we're almost finished. Sorry, it's taking so long. Um, we get this key verse, for judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And then we get the other half of the story again, which is the unbelief of the Pharisees. The Pharisees are angry and they say, what, are we blind too? And Jesus says something really interesting here. He says, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Now, I think there's, uh, there's so much going on there. We can talk a bit more about this when we, I know you want to talk about sin. So <laughs> yeah. we'll talk about that in a second. But I think essentially what he's saying is, is that the Pharisees all along have claimed to be in this position of knowledge. Mm. And in fact, that's what blinds them from Jesus is that they, they think that they know. But the other thing is, is that they are, they are guilty of their sin because what, what's been exposed in them is not, that the problem for them is not ignorance. You know, they, they, they've seen the evidence. Interestingly, they didn't see the man being healed themselves, but they heard the report. Mm. They heard the report. Yes, it's convincing, and yet they still refuse to believe. And what that actually exposes is, is that the problem is not blindness in the sense of ignorance. The problem is not that they they don't have enough information. Mm. There's a deeper problem. And mm. literally, what what that says is, is um, now that you claim you can see, your sin remains. Mm. Um, and I think what that means is their sin is exposed. Yeah. What's actually the reason that they don't believe is not for a lack of knowledge, uh, but it's sin. Mm. So, uh, th sorry that took so long. No, but that's, that's John 9. That's... The two stories, belief and unbelief. Yes. Uh, that's going on. That's really helpful. And yeah, it, there's a lot in there, isn't there? Um, yeah. I do want to talk about sin because you were talking about that. And I do have a question about this. So we know, like, when we look at John's purpose statement right at the end of the gospel, we know that he is an evangelist, you know, he, he is evangelizing us. Um, and if we've done, you know, our evangelistic courses, like Two Ways to Live, we know sin is box two. It's right there. We've got we to talk about sin. And yet, you know, we are now nine chapters into John um, and there's very little mention of sin. Can you help us understand why that is? Does John not think that's important or how, how are we meant to understand sin in John's gospel? Because it's got to be there, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, first of all, I think it, it doesn't seem like it's there, but it certainly is. Mm. Even the word is used a, a bit. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's maybe not, you, I, you know, I need to check compared to the synoptics. I, I haven't done that in a while. Um, how it compares but it's probably used less uh, in John um, but first of all let's think about when it is used mm. and then we can also think about um, other phrases that John uses that also refer to sin even though the word isn't used so the, the I think the first time it's used is by John the Baptist um, when he, he tells the disciples look the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Mm. I think, you know, some people try to make out that John isn't interested in substitutionary atonement, that is that, that Christ um, dies on our behalf for our sins. Um, 
And yet that statement early on, I think, just blows that idea out of the water. Hmm. Um, because first of all, he, the issue of sin is raised. Okay? He takes away the sin of the world. Um, so he has come to rescue us from sin. And also the, the, the means by which he does that is pointed out by, by describing him as the Lamb of God. And of course, in John, one of the main, one of the primary images, because John loves to use imagery to get his point across, the, one of the primary images that he uses to um, convey what Jesus is doing on the cross is the Passover. Yeah. Now, the Passover occurs three times in John at significant points um, where Jesus is discussing uh, his, where the issue of his death comes up. Uh, one particular one is in John 6, where Jesus says that you need to eat my body and drink my blood. And so he's presenting his death on the cross as the, the sort of the paschal lamb, the, the, the sacrifice for, uh, for our sins so that God's judgment will pass over us. Uh, and again, we, we, we get the Passover coming up again when it comes to Jesus' death. So the whole... Uh, idea of Jesus' death is framed in terms of this idea of a sacrifice for our sins so that we can be rescued from sin. So I think two ways to live is safe in John. I think you can still, uh, you can still share two ways to live without, without getting worried that John doesn't talk about that. He does talk about sin in other ways as well, though, and I think that's, mm. that's very interesting. So um, one of the... Uh, I'll come back to when the word is used uh, in, a, in a moment. But one of the other ways that John talks about what, what I guess we could think of as sin is darkness. And here what he's talking about is, is really a state that we're in rather than deeds that we are committing. So, you know, when we think about sin, we often think about the bad things we're doing. Now, they're not separated. They're very, very closely tied to that. Uh, but but I but when we think about how he talks about darkness, I think this is very much the the idea of the state of sin that we are in uh, in opposition to God. So if you go to John chapter three, for example, um, in John chapter three verse nineteen, we're told this is the verdict: light has come into the world, that people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And I think what you, have, what you have here is both the state that people are in and the evil deeds that you commit while you are in that state as well. So we are in a state of darkness and we do these evil works. And that's one of John's primary ways in which he describes um, sin in terms of doing, doing bad things, doing the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, you are in this state of darkness and you commit these evil deeds. And it's really interesting, the relationship between the two, because on the one hand, you commit these evil deeds because you're in darkness. On the other hand, you refuse to come out of the darkness because you love your evil deeds mm. uh, and you're committed uh, to doing them and you fear being exposed uh, for these evil deeds. So you, you get this interesting relationship between the state of sin or darkness that we're in and then the evil that we do while we are in that state. Mm. The state causes the evil deeds, but at the same time, the evil deeds keep us in that state. They keep us wanting to stay there. Um, so I think that's, that, that's an interesting way of exploring the concept of sin without actually using the word 
without actually using the word sin. So when we think about sin, we, we, we should think beyond simply the word, the term used, uh, and look also in John for how else uh, he's talking about it. Now, one of the interesting places where John does, oh, sorry, where Jesus does use the word sin uh, is in chapter 5. Uh, after he heals uh, the the paralytic. Um, so there's, there's a man who's been paralyzed. He's healed by Jesus. And then Jesus says, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen. Mm. Now, that's a bit of a confusing verse, I think, because um, it's not immediately clear what Jesus means by that. One way of reading it is to say that um okay being paralyzed is bad hell is worse and therefore you better sort your sin out um or you're going to end up in hell um that's that's one way of of reading it and in one sense i think that's that's right but there's there is one issue in that and that is is that it, it almost implies that his paralysis uh was caused by his sin and if he doesn't watch out, something even worse is going to happen. And that doesn't work because John 9, we're told that the man's blindness was not caused by his, his sin in, in a personal sense. Obviously, we're part of a fallen world. But in a personal sense, you can't equate this man's born blind, therefore he's a sinner. This man is paralyzed, therefore he's a sinner. So what, what is John saying here? Well, I'm not sure, but I think that what Jesus is getting at is that the healing is meant to lead him to a greater healing. Mm. Okay, so think of John 9. He gains his physical sight and that leads him to a greater vision, a greater sight, which is the spiritual insight he comes to believe. But that doesn't happen in John 5. Okay, he has this healing and then that's it. He doesn't, you don't get what happens in John, John 9. He doesn't actually go on to believe. Uh, we're just he's just in fact we're given a negative picture because he kind of tells on jesus to the uh, to the authorities and so what i think jesus means when he says stop sinning is stop being in this state of darkness in opposition to god and in opposition to me turn from that and turn to, to and turn to me find the the healing the true healing that i have to offer um in me and I think that's the point that's going on here. So, so sin in that sense is not just stop, you know, um, I don't know, cheating on your taxes and, and doing that, although that, the evil works are part of it, mm. but it's deeper mm. than that. Stop, stop being in this state of sin in opposition towards God. Mm. Use this miracle as the launching pad for you to now find the greater healing that's found in Jesus. Mm. So I think that's an example of, of what's going on in there and then when we come to john 9 so i mean there's so much more we could talk about i think the state of sin you you definitely see that in um in uh, john 7 and 8 where jesus says uh, you will die in your sins um because you haven't come to me um but then john 9 i think is really interesting because we have this discussion of sin right at the start of john 9 where the disciples want to know who sinned this man or his parents uh, and that comes from what I think was a pretty standard belief at the time that if, uh, you know, if, if, if you had this issue of, of, of blindness, especially blindness from birth, 
Uh, it was clearly God's curse on you because of a particular sin that you did or uh, that was done by your family. Mm. Um, now, Jesus rejects that idea, but he doesn't reject the idea that blindness is caused by sin. He rejects the idea that physical blindness is caused by a sin. Hmm. And what's really interesting is that when you get to the end of John 9, you hmm. see that the Pharisees are being accused of sin. Hmm. And their, their, their spiritual blindness is caused by sin. It's really interesting, verse 34, what the Pharisees say, you are steeped in sin at birth. That's the Pharisees. Now, it's the blind man as well. It's all of us. We all have been steeped yeah. in sin at birth, right? We are all in darkness. Mm. That's, what, that's what we hear in, in, uh, in John 1. That's what Jesus tells Nicodemus in John 3. And that's what we see living out here. We are all in this state of spiritual darkness. We are all steeped in sin at birth. And what, but that doesn't cause physical blindness. That causes spiritual blindness. And what happens at the end of John 9 is that their sin has been exposed because they refuse to believe in Jesus, even though the evidence is overwhelming that he clearly is from God. And so what does that show us? Well, that shows us, John 3, that they loved the darkness and therefore they would not come into the light. Whereas the man born blind, he does what is true. He, he, he follows the truth and therefore he comes into the light. And so I think there's a really interesting comment on sin here that's that the, the, the real reason why we don't believe is not because we, we don't have enough evidence. It's not because we haven't heard the right inspiring talk or enough mm. apologetics or what, whatever it is. It's, it's our sin. It's a spiritual problem. Um, yeah. So there's more to say. But <laughs> I think I'll yeah. No. Oh, wow. There is a lot. Uh, we We'll keep moving for time yeah, because we don't have heaps of time. But maybe we could end on this question because we were talking about that very key verse. You mentioned it at the start. You just mentioned it again, verse 39, where Jesus talks about what he's doing here. And he's obviously talking to the, the Pharisees. And I guess because this is such a key verse to understanding um, sin and the whole of, um, you know, John 9, mm. I think it's important, is this a word just to the Pharisees? Do you know when, when Jesus is saying you are blind, is, is he just talking to the Pharisees or does this have something to say about blindness and sight for us today and what Jesus is doing? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I guess that, that is who he's talking to. He is talking to the Pharisees. Um, but, I mean, like most of John, the what, what is true for um the individuals is true for the world. I mean, this concept is very popular in John about the world mm. uh, and the state of the world. Um, and so John is very quick to universalize ideas and mm. to say that, uh, no, 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 this isn't just what's going on with the Pharisees. This is actually the whole world. Mm. Um, the whole world is in darkness. And so you, all you need to do is go back to the prologue, say, um, and, uh, the, you know, the light is shine, shines in the darkness or the darkness is not overcome or understood it, depending on um, what the word means. Um, but but right, right from there, you get this idea that this is, this is not something specific to this group of people, mm. uh, but this, this can be universalized 
mm. uh, to the entire world. Same, same in John 3 again, uh, when, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he's not talking about Nicodemus uh, alone uh, when he talks about the darkness. The darkness is the state of the cosmos, the state of the world that we are in. So I think from that perspective, uh, you can say John is very quick to universalize these, these ideas. I think what's true, um, what's true for the unbelievers in, in John is true for the whole world. The world did not recognize him. What's true for the believers in John is true for all believers. Those who did believe are given the right to become children of God in, in the prologue. So I think John is, is very, very big in, um, in universalizing. The other thing that I would say, though, is that the ministry of Jesus in John, uh, and John is very clear about this, doesn't end with Jesus. Uh, the ministry of Jesus continues by his spirit. And so I think this is really important. I'm not, I'm not sure how much time we have. How much time do we have? It's very little. Very, very small amount. All right. I, all right. Well, very quickly, um, when you think about John 5, say, for example, Jesus talks about the witnesses mm. that confirm who, who he is as a believer. You know, you've got John the Baptist. Uh, you've got his works. You've got his own words. Uh, and then you've got scripture. Um, and really, you can, you, you can see that the people in John are convicted of their sin as they reject these witnesses, okay? So they reject, John 9, you know, they reject the works of mm. Jesus, whereas the word, you know, the, the blind man, he receives the works of Jesus and the word of Jesus, mm. uh, which, is, which is really important. Um, when we get to, say, John 15, John 16, what we see is that these witnesses will continue uh, in the world by the Spirit. And so people will continue to either respond in a John 9 fashion. They will either respond in belief or unbelief. So uh, um, chapter 15, verse 22, um, Jesus says, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. That's really interesting. I didn't talk about that before, but I think that's really interesting. But now they have no excuse for their sin. So here we have. The words of Jesus is one of the testimonies that, that confirms who he is, okay? They reject that, therefore they're exposed as guilty. Uh, verse 24, if I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. So again, uh, here we have this, the, the, the witness of Jesus comes out, it exposes their sin and it shows that they're sinful. Now, do we still have this witness today? Do we still have the works of Jesus? Do we still have the words of Jesus? Do we still have the scriptures? And the answer is, of course, yes. We have, we have this because we have John's gospel and we, and we have the scriptures. So, you know, when you go to John 20, uh, I have written this. You know, Jesus did many other miracles um, that, that I haven't recorded, but I've written these so that you may believe. So we have them. We have the works of Jesus recorded for us. We have the words of Jesus mm. recorded for us. We have the scriptures. And so uh, chapter 16, verse 9 uh, he says that when the spirit comes into the world, uh, he will convict the world uh, about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Same word that's used when he talks to Nicodemus about this is the, the verdict, you know, this is the verdict that will come. He, he will convict the world about sin because people do not believe in me. So just as the Pharisees are exposed for their sinfulness by not believing, we are exposed for our sinfulness in not believing. Now, it's, it's important to make the point here that 
Jesus is not saying that those who've never seen him or heard about his miracles uh, won't be guilty and won't, won't be punished for their sin. Um, you know, I think sometimes we sort of hear that. What about people in deepest, darkest Africa or whatever who, who never heard the gospel? What about that? I think instead the picture that John gives us is that the, this, the ordinary state of the world is one of darkness, it is one of sin, it is one of opposition mm. to God. What the witness of Jesus does is it exposes that darkness when people reject him. Mm. So the very fact that you reject Jesus exposes your darkness. It exposes the fact that even if he came to you, you wouldn't believe you would put him on a cross. Mm. And so, yes, I think that judgment or that verdict, I think you could take John 9 in the sense of, you know, for a verdict, I have come into the world. Jesus has come to to pass judgment, to expose what we're really like. Mm. And that's exactly what happens when the gospel goes out, when you preach the gospel in your in your Sunday school or your um, Bible study or, or, you know, when you're doing one-to-one or when you're sharing the gospel with your friends at work, whatever it is, as the word goes out, you a verdict uh, goes out as well. And as we reject Jesus, our, our sin is exposed. I should stop there. <laughs> it's a great place to stop and a great, um, yeah, just, just to keep thinking about how what is happening when we share the gospel, what is happening when we speak god's words um god is doing his work and that's a it's a wonderful encouragement for us as we go out that you know as we open our mouths and say these things god is at work um sorry absolutely i I just want to say because i don't want to end on a negative note which is that our sin is exposed and we're all in darkness um the the opposite is is true as well that yeah the people come to faith the blind man sees that's right uh and and it's happened for for all of the listeners here hopefully and and it it can happen as well so don't be discouraged by sharing the gospel Mm. um especially don't be discouraged when people reject it that's gonna happen Mm. but you'll also see the blind will come to see as well yeah yeah, no, that's great. Thank you so much, Tom. It's been really lovely to chat to you and to hear from you and all that you're doing um, and learning through John's gospel. Uh, uh, but that brings us to the end of whatever is true. Uh, we are going to take a couple of weeks break over the school holidays, but we'll be back with some more uh, thoughts on John and ministry and life together as NCA. So tune in next time. <laughs>